This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening first time dance. With me, Richard Innes. And me, Steve Meyer. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, for this fine episode, uh, we were joined by Matt Farquharson, who is better known as Papa Pucker, the other half of the Mother Pucker podcast. Uh, we got up with Matt to talk about a new book that he's been working on with his wife, Anna, uh, about how actually having kids can really damage your relationship. Uh-huh. Um, we, also, <laughs> we also spoke to him about the battle for parents who are flexible working and the various challenges society places in their ways. It's fascinating. Listen. Matt. Thanks for coming in, first time dads. That's all right. Thanks for uh, asking me along. Um, Matt, you are obviously a podcaster, like like podcaster like us. Yes. Um, and a dad. What have you, what have you got? Uh, two girls. One's two and one's six. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've kind of... I've kind of forgotten everything about yeah. the little ones and sort of the horror of the sleepless nights at the beginning. Yeah. And also that two is kind of this weird crossover of peak adorability where they say very cute things and maximum frustration, where they yes. can't do anything, but yes. they're determined to do it. Yes. And every time you walk out the house, it's like trying to take a hedgehog for a walk or something. Yes. That is so yes. nice to hear, because my two-and-a-half-year-old at the moment, I was having this conversation with someone just the other day, in fact, yesterday, that he is either the most wonderful, lovely, heart-meltingly wonderful, lovely, brilliant little human being in the world, or he's the devil. And there is no in between. Yeah. And the thing I keep I keep coming back to, and I suppose this is again part of the reason we do this podcast in the first place, is is everyone else thinking this about their two year old? So it's quite re- reassuring. It's always reassuring to know. Okay, we're not the only ones. I think there's a, that's a very common trait that yeah. you flip from the sort of spontaneous shin cuddle and just outpouring of adoration from this tiny creature yeah, to yeah. face plant on the floor screaming and yeah. kicking their feet up and down like some yeah. kind of like cat in a tumble dryer or something yeah. uh, so iris is 15 months and she's just mastered what i describe as the extinction rebellion <laughs> muscle relax you can't get to do it they go full on vietnam yeah. war yeah. exactly yeah, yeah, the yeah, floppy, yeah, yeah the floppiness yeah, how it. do they know to do I that i don't know i think it's just instinctive <laughs> yeah it's just um, kind of i know why well, know what will mean he can't pick me up i'll yeah. just go really floppy and then yeah it, it's that's, that's actually I quite, quite often I quite often go for the sort of rugby ball under the arm yes. technique, okay. just scoop yes. up, yeah. uh, hold uh, the little one like she's a rugby ball and just mm. sort of march along. And you get these kind of, um, these really sympathetic looks from people, I think. <laughs> I was worried that if people saw me doing that, they'd think I was a terrible dad and yeah. basically being really mean. But uh, I think anyone who has ever seen a two-year-old before looks at you with this sort of knowing understanding which is quite reassuring that's the thing and i think that's what we need to do more of i've said on this podcast before that i think all we really want to hear from other dads is how awful their children are yes being. no one wants to know that your child your child's being lovely yes. no no not interested not interested in the slightest what i want to know is is your child being dreadful and if your child's yes. been dreadful please talk to me because then i can tell you when my child's dreadful and that, yes. that, that's what we all want yeah, right? my, yes my approach is if he's, either of them start well she doesn't really play out because she's only 
you know, 15 months. But when he does, it's like a snatch squad. Just grab him, get him out of that environment as quickly yes. as possible. Yeah. Don't get into some sort of debate in a supermarket aisle where, and then more attention gathers and then people will like stop looking yes. and surrounding you. Yeah. Just want to get him out of there. And It's all know. about distraction, distraction, I think. And I sometimes, key. with our six-year-old, I sometimes forget that because actually, you know, she can form coherent sentences and she can have a discussion about things. And I try and reason with her and explain what you know we should be doing but it always backfires because she just says yeah but i just want a snack why can't i have a snack <laughs> where's the chocolate why won't you bring me the chocolate and she won't accept any of the arguments against that but what my wife anna is very good at is the distraction thing of um oh look there's a squirrel or what have you mm. even if there isn't really a squirrel no. there. i wonder if we're all if we're guilty of this as dads more than mothers potentially but i we've spoken to experts recently actually experts in adverted commas um who have explained that okay there's no point having these discussions and like to your point distraction is just the way forward yeah, yeah. there's no point in getting into this back and forth and i had this i was sort of laboring under the illusion that i was being a good parent sitting down and talking to my child and trying to have a back and forth and let's talk about your emotions and let's let's try and figure out why you did that and of course various people have said to us recently well that's nonsense he's two you can't do that yes and i do wonder if dads are more kind of prone to that sort of thing i know what i'll do i'll have a conversation this is exactly <laughs> the mistake that i make and it yeah. never it never works because you kind of think that you know it's all about eye contact yeah and yeah yeah and discussion look at me look at and me and i'm We're filling talking. them full me. of life skills <laughs> about debating and getting their point across and what have you but quite often my six-year-old will just turn around to me and say, stop talking to me, you're making me angry. You know, she's getting a point across. And that quite often at quite a high decibel okay. as well. Can you, do you hear Anna's voice when you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, ironically, I think with us it's the other way around. Okay. She's always the one that wants to talk about an issue, uh, yeah, whereas yeah. I'm quite happy to go and sulk. And I think that's ma man, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. yeah, it is, um, you know, it is amazing how easily we slip into those stereotypes without it's that men is from men are from mars women from venus isn't yeah. it? it's like the man wants to go into the cave yeah and the woman follows him in to try and solve the problem she's yeah. like, leave me in my cave it's terrible and i kind of try particularly because i've got two daughters i'm very aware of sort of um uh societal cultural impact mm. on girls mm. in particular mm. and and you know very keen to say look you can play with the dinosaurs or the trucks as well as the pink dolly. Mm. It's up to mm. you and so on. But I just find myself reverting to these really old-fashioned, stereotypical man ways mm. in that I have spent quite a lot of time looking online at great sheds where I could, where I could potentially <laughs> spend a bit of time and this could be my new working yes. space. Yes, I like uh, it. But basically all I want is a chair in a dark room where yeah. no one can get to me. We're, yeah. we're destined to become our own fathers. I've, I increasingly believe that because it is, I'm exactly the same. I, again, I had a conversation with someone recently. You, so what type of dad are you? you know, I said, well, I wanted to be you know, the kind of modern, progressive, liberal... Uh, very kind of forward-thinking father who would do this and do that. And actually, I just... And it's no bad thing, because my dad was a very good dad and brought, uh, brought myself and my siblings up very well. But increasingly, it's almost just like a, a reflex. And I hear my dad in the way I'm talking to my boys, because it's just... I suppose it's almost inevitable. Well, I, I, very little I you wanna, can do to fight it. I, I want a six-pack, but I'm not going to get one. So <laughs> it's, it's, the same, it's, the same, it's the same sort of yeah. thing. You just... There is... An, uh, you know, things are going to happen. I think to change... How you are as a dad is going to take generations and generations yes. and generations to go forward. But um, it sort of brings us on to our, our, our sort of discussion about we're going to have about social media, perhaps. Yeah. And this, 
this space that is oper- filled by perfect parents on social media and Instagram and that, you know, the kind of filtered stuff and all that. And the podcast that you guys do and the podcast that we do, I hope, is a bit more honest about what it's like to be a, be a parent. Yes. I mean, I think ours is probably occasionally far too honest. Uh, You've got certainly got more explicit content. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it does get quite <laughs> biological quite quickly. I, I do bite my tongue a little bit on the uh, on the unswearing front on here deliberately. So it's good to know that you cut loose. Yeah, well, we do. I mean, that's kind of that was, uh, to be honest, part of the idea behind Mother Pucker in the first place. It was something that my wife started. And basically, she we just moved back to London. And uh, Instagram was a relatively new thing and someone said you know it's actually quite a nice way to meet other mums it's kind of like a, she someone described it to her as like tinder for stressed out mums who want to find mates <laughs> uh, and she started looking at it and um, when she was sort of breastfeeding with our first one in the wee hours of the morning she was scrolling through these feeds and she was getting all of the um, posts from the states because of the time of night it was and there were all these amazing looking women in tiny bikinis with these gorgeous looking kids and I think that's particularly common over that side yeah mm. um and she found it a little bit off-putting actually and actually quite uh, almost a little bit depressing i think and decided that actually it was she would want to do something that was a bit more honest and open about uh about the parenting experience and the stresses and the horror of it mm-hmm. uh and that's how mother pucker came about partly and what we discovered was that by being quite honest about the horrors of it and, you know, some serious issues like sort of um, like miscarriage and so on and things like that, she got so many messages from people saying, actually, this has made me feel much better. I was Mm. feeling really down about, you know, everyone else seems to be doing it better than me. It's, you know, it's quite a relief Mm. to know that you're hopeless too. Mm. Uh, And I think there's something healthy about that. And Mm. if you look for them, there are quite a lot of accounts like that. You know, there's a billion Instagram accounts. You can find one that... yeah fits you and makes yeah. you and keeps you interested in something and doesn't make you feel bad. Yeah. And it goes back to our point, doesn't it, that we were dis- we were discussing beforehand about that idea of wanting solidarity with other people who are struggling. You yes. don't want you don't want to feel that pressure of, oh great, so you're doing brilliantly and I'm doing awfully. That, yes. and, that, and there is so there is so much of social media in relation to parenting, which I think does that and has a really negative yeah. impact on people. Particularly yeah. mums actually in fairness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and am I right in thinking um, I have a recollection of, of hearing Anna speak. Well, she was talking about she used to work in magazines, and there was, there was a point at which they go, "Well, we'll take the woman up to a certain point yes. in her life uh, until you get married, and then." So what she worked. After that? So she works uh, for Glossy Women's Mag, yeah. weeklies and monthlies, and uh, it was fairly common to hear it said in the office, "We don't go beyond the maternity ward." Um, and that's it and stop and it stops and actually if you think about it in the magazine market in the UK there's things like Grazia and Stylist Mm, and mm. so on for probably aimed at younger career women and then there's things like Woman's Own for uh, older women but actually there's this big gap Mm. in the middle where there are lots of women who mostly still work probably have kids or are thinking about having kids have all of these things in these very rich lives but don't see their lives reflected and I think that's where quite a lot of social media stuff can come in yeah, yeah, I used to write a column actually for one of those magazines you just mentioned in my single days as a kind of single man talking about yep. being a single man about town type thing. And they would tweak not details of my of my stories or what I was writing, but details about me to fit that kind of demographic that they were after. I.e. like I needed to be a little bit older or a little bit younger. Yes. But th- there's obviously a real awareness within those mags, like you said, about the kind of this this is the woman we're aiming. And yes. anyone anyone beyond that in terms of life yes. progression. 
Yes, no, no this is the kind of woman we're aiming at, and this is the kind of man that she would exactly. probably like. Mm. Yeah, yeah, precisely. Yeah. What's been the a reaction amongst your uh, social circle, you, you know, your mates, about talking about being a dad? Uh, well, I mean, mostly they take the mickey, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> Sounds familiar. Uh, yeah. And think it's kind of ridiculous, um, which is quite healthy, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't think any more mates have ever listened to this podcast. I think one lad in the office did and said, it's just you lot whinging. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the parenting experience. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, so I've got a mate who is um, early 40s, resolutely single, uh, has been for 20 years. Uh, as a very eager user of Tinder and all the rest of it, <laughs> has no intention of settling down. And one of the things, and I've asked him about this, you know, do you ever wonder if you'll sort of have kids and so on? And he said, well, to be honest, everyone I speak to who has kids makes it sound so appalling that I, I just <laughs> can't imagine yeah. why I would want to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, and I, I'm sure we all have in our slightly darker moments as well, those, those thoughts of like, mm, I wonder what life would have been like right now if I hadn't had these children. So that is uh, a surprisingly common thing. Um, is, yeah. So we, uh, I mentioned it just before, we just finished our second book, which mm. is called Where's My Happy Ending, which is about the idea of relationships and where they go in later life and so on. And we looked into quite a lot of the academic research around that. And there's a chapter that looks at kids. And uh, there was some research done in Germany uh, that found that one in five parents, I think it was about 19% of uh, dads, about 18% of uh, mums, secretly wished that they'd never had kids. Like if there could be a parallel universe where their children had never existed, they would love to step into it. And they all said, you know, and that makes me feel terrible because I adore my children. Mm. I don't want anything mm. to happen to them. Yeah, you can you can have both those emotions and feelings simultaneously. Yeah, which is possible. but if there was like a sort of Ebenezer Scrooge, this is your alternative yeah. future moment. About one in five people have said that sliding actually, doors. Yes, exactly. Actually, I would secretly like to step in. Yeah, but you see, I would qualify my answer, and I would say I'd like to step in there for a week. Like yes. have a week, yes. just like that, and then and be, be able lovely, to step back. That's a stag do, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, stag do it without kind of an, an, the amount of alcohol that might kill yeah. a small person. But yeah. uh, but also, I would worry about that week and how much harm it would do to me long term. I mean, there are lots of stats about the fact that uh, divorced men die sooner and mm. things like that. And mm. actually, uh, you know, if you're sort of middle aged and you suddenly find yourself single, divorced, or what have you. Uh, your diet goes out the window because you're just cooking for yourself. Mm. Um, you try and act like you did when you were 25, but obviously it takes its toll much more. I'd, oh, gotcha. I'd be slightly intimidated by <laughs> what that alternative <laughs> life would be. Yeah. Oh, and anecdotally, um, it appears to me that pe uh, people who are widowed is the men that find new partners quicker or divorced men that find partners new quicker. Yes. And there's a lot of, you know, my mum's generation of women who yeah. are just like right that's it i'm you know quite happy living my life yes. my independence and stuff yes. whereas the, the dads are the ones that go mm. off and start well, new relationships a single life is generally better for women yeah. so oh, mar God, married yeah. women die younger yeah. than single uh women well, there's research today and what is it multiple marriages is it, is it the reverse sorry is it the reverse with with men so if uh, a couple get divorced typically what will happen is the man will die sooner than um if he'd stayed married and the woman will uh, live longer. Live longer. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's that's everything. So that is one the of most the, telling stuff I've they ever did heard. Some, they did some research in the States in, I can't remember where it was, in the Midwest somewhere, but they looked at 5,000 uh, couples and they um, mapped out their health, the ones that stayed together, the ones that didn't. And basically what they found was 
in a marriage, the men drink less because they're not hanging around with their flabby face beer buddies all the time. Okay. Whereas the women drink more because they take on a bit more of their partner's drinking habits. So, you know, if you're a single man who would normally have 30 pints a week and actually you just have a glass of wine every night, yeah. then that's quite a big cut back. But actually, if you're a single woman who wouldn't drink that See. much, mm. you drink a bit more wine. That sounds very familiar. And, you know, there's so know. many times that I've yeah. sort of said to Anna, do you want a glass of something? Because <laughs> it's Monday and I've made yeah. it to the end. <laughs> and she said, no, I'm fine. Night. And then I literally she hears did this the cork pop and goes, yeah. oh, all right, go on then. Yeah. I literally yeah. had that conversation last night because I was watching the football. So it's like, oh, the football's on. I'll just have a quick drink. You know, yeah. It's football, right? I've got yeah. to have a drink with the football. So I'm just having a quick drink. And, then, and Lindsay literally was like, oh, go on then. And I have one. She, and yeah. she would never have had that otherwise. No. So basically the conclusion of that research is that marriage is good for men and bad for women. Uh, health-wise, health yeah. Health-wise, yeah. Yeah. Although uh, you could probably broaden that out in various... But there's so much... But it's also... Um, so this wasn't just for straight couples. Uh, so there was a big piece of research done in Denmark as well, which found that uh, for um, that single gay men died younger than married gay men, or like civil partnership, yep. um, because there is something about that union and having one partner that means that actually men calm down a little bit and start to behave like slightly more reasonable creatures. But do we know, does having kids shorten your life? I don't know if it shortens your life. I know that um, it is universally acknowledged to have a, a bad impact on your relationship. Okay. <laughs> uh, so there was another piece of research from the University of Texas where they looked at, because there's dozens and dozens of papers about the impact yeah. of um, uh, kids on relationships. And these University of Texas researchers looked at all of these from around the world and they found that... Um, from research in Asia, in Europe, in the Americas, among gay couples and straight couples, among different ethnic groups, their conclusion was something along the lines of that it is universally a bad and has a negative impact on relationship when you have children. Okay. I suppose, I mean, to an extent that there is an element of common sense there that says, I, I don't necessarily find that that surprising. No. Uh, which is, I suppose, depressing in itself. Yes. Because <laughs> it's just the, the nature of it, you know, we've, we've all been there all in the middle of it. Well, the, it's a it's a the, level the of stress. It's a level of stress, yeah. isn't it? And and it's a level of uh, a point. It's an extra set of points of difference. Yes, extra set of points of difference about how you raise kids, yeah. but also just the constant demands. I mean, I mm. think because we've all got fairly young kids that can't really tend to themselves yet. They don't really self facilitate no. yet. No. And I think yeah. when they're a bit older, there will be different problems, I guess. But just the constant demands that mean actually you don't really have that much time looking eye to eye yeah. with your partner and talking about nice stuff. It's basically you get up, you've got kids to deal with and get away somewhere. You go to work, you've got kids to pick up and get to bed and then it's eight o'clock and, and you've and probably got collapse. some kind of life admin stuff to do or after that. Or you want to just watch Netflix and Or silence. you just want to absolutely <laughs> stare at a screen and eat chocolate yeah, and drink wine. Exactly. Just uh, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, and just decompress. Yeah, I have yeah. to do that. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys do this, but I do fast forward occasionally in my mind to, you know, so I'm I'm approaching 40. So I sometimes fast forward to my my sort of early to mid 50s and thinking, well, that'll be the time when we can first go on holiday by ourselves, for instance. Or we can, yeah. we can leave the boys with grandparents or maybe even they'll be old enough to, you know, stay, stay yeah. at home on their own. And be the point where you're that couple that people see on holiday where you're sat in silence because <laughs> you've got absolutely nothing to talk yeah, we about. Ha we, haven't, we haven't talked about anything other than our children for the last yes. 15 years. But so that's also really common. So the only group in the UK, I think, where um, divorce rates are rising is uh, 50 and 60-year-olds. 
um, because people feel less pressure to get married in the first place mm. now. Mm-hmm. So actually, they only get married if they're really into each other, not just so that their mum, sense, their mum yeah. stops nagging them. Or whatever. <laughs> uh, and actually, it's quite common now. They're called silver splitters. Basically, they get to the stage where the kids are finally out the door and they turn around and this person that they fell in love with when they were 29 is now 57 and isn't into the same music and uh, you know they've Slightly kind of and they've mm-hmm. kind of just been plowing on relentlessly and not really turning around to look at each other um, yeah. and that's the one group and it's not a massive spike but it's the one group where there's a slight uptick in uh, divorce rates J- just to put a slightly more positive spin on all this what i would say <laughs> just in case there's anyone kind of listening to this thinking well i'm going to get divorced so you know whatever um <laughs> I the the way I tend to look at things, and I and I'm aware I'm very fortunate with my wife for a number of reasons, but I do occasionally find myself thinking, well, what if I'd stayed with her? You know, I've I've been in sort of a few had a few serious relationships before I met my wife, and I do occasionally have that thing with, well, imagine if I was in this situation with young kids with her, my ex, yes. uh, or one of my exes, and you think, wow, like I am actually very very fortunate because I know that my wife is a very kind of tolerant and patient yes. person. I think I do occasionally think well. that. God, if that, yeah, yeah, I pick well. I was lucky. She but picked well. Well, she, well, no, well, she, she no, no, yeah, she, yeah. she settled. <laughs> <Yeah>. but, <laughs> the, um, but, but I do occasionally find myself imagining that. So I think there are there's a sort of positive spin to it in in that sometimes the stress that you're under, if you frame it and contextualize it that way, you think, well, actually, thank God I'm with her yes. and not someone else, because actually, if it was someone else, it would be a hundred times worse. Yes, and I think you're right. It's absolutely important to remember that. And we both sort of stop and remind ourselves of that from time to time. Mm. And I also think, actually, yeah, previous partners, I mean, this would have been horrible. We would have divorced years ago. So <laughs> the, you, t- you kind of take, you've got to take solace from that and think, actually, despite all of these pressures that are on us, we're relatively civil to each other most of the time and do laugh from time to time and still occasionally do nice things for each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think there is a, definitely an element that the child acts as a slight, uh, extra bit of glue yeah. In the relationship, yes, in a way that yes. if you perhaps didn't have a child and you went through a rocky patch, it would be very easy to go right. I'm going yeah. out and I'm going to go and stay at a mate's house and not, you know. Whereas if you've got small children, you're not going to do that no. unless you're. Well, I mean, people obviously do do that, but certainly most people. It, even on a, on a kind of low level argument, I've had that thing where it, it snaps you back into. To, I was telling you before that my wife is the very calm one. I'm the I'm the lunatic who loses his temper. And occasionally we'll be having a row about something and voices are starting to get raised. And Ben, my eldest, will shout, Daddy, stop it. And you think, oh, he's hearing me shout. Yeah, and he's like, oh, sorry, son. Yeah, no, you're right. Absolutely. Sorry, sorry, sorry. And it just snaps you back into reality. Yeah. And you, you realize that you can't actually have that argument because you don't want your kids yeah. to hear you arguing. And it's kind of the same. I'm the grumpy one. I'm the one that snaps and huffs mm. unnecessarily. And Anna is kind of remarkably patient in most things. And, you know, when I'm sort of huffing and tutting about the state of the mm. kitchen or whatever, or some, mm. or one of the kids being a bit difficult, she's the one that's kind of in the nice mood. But so there was uh, with our eldest uh, six months or so ago, uh, Anna and I were having a ridiculous argument about a shelf, <laughs> which is one of the most <laughs> mundane domestic things you can possibly imagine. So we bought this shelf, and there was a conversation about whether it should go in uh, the bathroom which she wanted to do and have like products on it and maybe a little plant yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or whether it should go in the living room and have books on it which was my preference <laughs> and it was utterly ridiculous and we were having this and obviously there's 
there was probably some other background thing, but we're having this escalating argument. I was saying, you're being ridiculous. We've got loads of books that are on the floor. <laughs> of course we need a shelf here. You just need fewer products in the bathroom. What's going on? And this was kind of escalating completely disproportionately. And our uh, then five-year-old turned around and she just said, guys, it's just a shelf. <laughs> Yeah, out of the mouth of babes, right? That's yeah. And yeah. actually, we both started laughing and thought, actually, yeah, I mean, yeah. that is quite insightful. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. reassuring. I the, the biggest row, one of the biggest rows Zoe and I have ever had, was when she was very heavily pregnant. We were racing to get our house finished, and we were we were on for like a baby moon in Lanzarote, and we had to make a decision on some light switches, and I had like the, my bad mobile phone reception trying to get up these light different light switches on them. This screaming row at each other. Uh, about whether it's get brushed metal light switches. <laughs> and and in the end, my wife stormed off down the coast and I thought, I don't know if she's going to come back. You know, <laughs> she's heavily pregnant, what she goes yeah. into labour. You yeah. know, I'm, I'm sort of in semi-tears in the villa. And then it, we ended up just getting the, the very cheapest plastic light switches you could possibly <laughs> get. The, 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 imagine if but, I got to a divorce court. But, and what what yeah. caused oh. this problem? Well, brushed metal, Your Honour. But we know <laughs> but people have got divorced over uh, football manager. That's they? true, yeah, that is uh, true. You know, it, what, the guy playing it too much? Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. The football manager has been listed in several divorce cases, and the, the guys who make it have that as a bit of a badge of honour. So, <laughs> 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 so Facebook apparently uh, crops up in about a third of divorce cases. Yeah. Really? Um, wow. Because either um, people get caught out in affairs or so on. Oh, I see, yeah. Uh, so that's not really Facebook being No, I mean, it's, no, no, no. It's, well, I take it's your point. The, yeah. It's the, it's the yeah. cheating, yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sleeping with someone but, else. Or uh, they uh, get spotted um, uh, in a place where they weren't supposed to be, that sort of thing. Tagged. Mm. Tagged, yeah. Tagged in the wrong place. Yeah. We've done that to people when they've not been with us. Tagged them. Have you? It, it, on a night out when... They're supposed to still at work. Uh, well, just to get them in trouble. Yeah, just to get them in trouble. Excellent. Um, <laughs> that is so out of order. <laughs> Do you, we've, I think we might have tagged mates in like Stringfellows or Spoonmint Rhinos <laughs> when they've not been with us. Um, and we've not been in there either. But yeah, just to clarify. Just to clarify. Yeah. Um, if you're, the stuff you've been looking at with relationships and having children and that kind of stuff, um, we, we're talking as sort of fairly modern dads. Mm. Um, and I, I suspect that Dads are spending what well, we find that they're spending more time with their kids than ever before. Um, and you and Anna have got this campaign, this flex working mm. campaign. Do you want to tell us a bit about that and how that that kind of idea that dads, uh, or dads and mums can spend more time with kids through less work or more flexible yeah. working? So it's uh, it's called Flex Appeal. So it's mm. just hashtag Flex Appeal, and it's basically this was something that came right at the beginning with Mother Pucker. Basically, um, we got to the stage where. Um, we were living in a flat in London. We had a, our eldest then was about 18 months or two. We were both doing editorial type roles and it kind of got to the stage where and Anna had basically been earning the same amount for the last 10 years on women's magazines and got to the stage where uh, she felt it was time to, to take a corporate job, a brand job. So she got a job for a big beauty brand. Um, but between accepting the job and starting it, they moved their office so they were in London Bridge, which was about sort of half an hour and 40 minutes, and they moved to East Croydon, which basically <sighs> would have been about an hour and 15 minutes each way. And basically would have meant that she'd see our nipper asleep on a weekends, effectively. So she asked them for a little bit of flexibility and said, look, if I can start and finish 15 minutes earlier, then I can make the, the, school, the nursery pick up at six. Um, and they said, no. They said, no, we just like everyone to be here at 
nine to six. Fifteen minutes. That's yeah, what she was asking. She was for. asking for fifteen minutes flexibility. Not an hour. Fifteen no, no. minutes. Right. She was okay. For fifteen minutes flexibility yeah. and. Uh, it's quite a big, well-known beauty brand and quite um, an aspirational place to work and so on. And I think like a lot of big organisations, and it's also quite true in media as well, I think, there's an assumption that people should feel lucky to be yeah. there. Mm. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. And so basically got to the stage where she had to quit. Uh, and so she did, she went back to freelancing, started Mother Pucker and it started to grow. But one of the things that we talked about quite a lot was flexible work and encouraging people to do that. And it's... You know, we're not political lobbyists or anything. It's just the the idea was very simple. Make a lot of noise about it. Encourage people to ask for flex and encourage employers to try it. And so um, actually we started to sort of build momentum and people, quite a lot of people that followed us weren't aware that after 26 weeks you have the right to ask yeah. for flexible working. No right to get it. No right just to get right it. To ask and it. something like uh, only four in 10 women get it and only one in 10 guys get it when they ask. Um, one in ten. One in ten, and Blimey. more than once we've heard people get back in touch with us and say, "My husband asked and said, said look, can he? Because uh, he needs to pick up the kids.'" And his boss said to him, "Well, what's your wife doing?" Uh, <laughs> yes, so there's still quite an old-fashioned attitude yeah. in, in quite a lot of places. Um, but uh, we basically found that actually, hundreds, potentially more than that now, through DMs, people have said. Well, actually, I asked and I got it, and it's made a massive difference. Or I asked, I didn't get it, but um, now I'm I'm going to come back with a new plan. And so, on. Mm. so part of it was just making people aware of the right to ask, and part of it was going in and doing talks and panels with companies and saying companies that were interested in offering more flexible working, and saying this is why it's a good thing. Here's the business case for it, etc., mm. etc. And alongside that, we've just started um, to work with a little bit of a coalition. Um, of organisations, so that includes the TUC. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, sorry, Unite. Uh, no, 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 no. Sorry, um, that's not been announced yet. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we can lose that. <laughs> yes, 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 right, fine, fine. So yeah. they're, they're not yeah. announcing until September. Um, so we started working with a coalition of organisations um, uh, to try and lobby for a law change. I mean, that's something that can take years and years, yeah. uh, but. Um, it's a process that's worth starting. There's mm. a private member's bill that was brought recently uh, that asked for um, all jobs uh, by default to be advertised mm. as flexible. Now, that's unlikely to make it into law because everything's sort of clogged up with Brexit and so on, but it's it's there on the books and there's a, a bit of momentum building for it. And the most of the main parties have... So that 10-minute bill was brought by... Um, a Tory MP, but uh, Labour have announced that uh, towards the beginning of this year that they would like to make flexible working a right from day one and so on. Um, most of the main parties uh, support the idea to varying degrees. Mm. Um, TUC and CBI have both said, you know, flexible working is a good thing. But we're just still, there's such a weird mentality about the fact that you can only do your job if you're a certain piece of laminated MDF yeah. under a certain bit of horrible yeah. strip lighting yeah. at yeah. certain yeah. hours. There's yeah. so much research that shows that you are more productive and you're more loyal if you get that kind of flexibility at work. I mean, we've had guys, we, we've spoken about it before on the podcast, and we've had guys contact us to say they've having to move jobs because they can't get the flexibility. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm a big supporter of flexible working. I, I work a four day week, and but I'm, I, I try and push share parental leave in the same way that yeah. th- that you guys are, are pushing that and any opportunity for me to talk about it, as, as regular listeners will know, I will talk about it or give interviews or go on radio or do that kind of thing because I think 
you've got to make the awareness of what people are entitled mm. to before they start to ask for it. It's got to become the, the normal thing that you, when you go into a new job or it's something that you, you immediately, are in the same way you ask what's the pension benefits or yeah. do I get a gym membership? It's like, what's the flexible working policy? It's exactly, it's just the sort of slow shift in mentality mm. because the case is there. Like um, report after report and research after research has shown that uh, actually if companies offer it, then people are more productive, mm -hmm. they're more loyal, mm -hmm. they're more likely to stay with you. So you don't Definitely. have all the costs of constantly re-recruiting. Um, they're happier, they're more efficient. There's um, Quite often it brings your costs down because you don't have to spend as much on right. desk space and all that sort of thing. But there is this kind of need, oh, well, it wouldn't work, it's too hard. Well, I need to know yeah. where people are. And actually, generally, you don't need to know where people are, you just need to know what they're doing. Yeah, And flexibility can work it's easier in an office environment where you're working on some kind of digital document, mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. about 70% of jobs in the UK. Mm -hmm. But it also works uh, in retail, it can work on factory lines, it can work even in the police and the NHS. Um, there's, a, there's a massive uh, recruitment crisis in the NHS, and they're realising slowly that one of the ways that they can address that is offering a little bit more flexibility mm. to how people work. Mm. Do you think that, because we've, we've talked about this before, we had a um, hand from uh, Daddy Life, and they, they commissioned a big survey around, around this, actually um and we were talking there about the the way in which almost inadvertently technology might be helping make this case i mean do you think because to me it you coming at it i don't have nearly as much information as you do behind it but from from a kind of outside view you would assume that the way technology is moving forward that it's only sort of it's a sort of an inevitability it's a kind of a matter of time before we get to be more flexible do you think that's yes fair? i think that's absolutely true and um like I mentioned, those sort of 70% of jobs that are office-based were basically what you're producing is some kind of digital document, mm. whether that's a Word document going to someone or it's a spreadsheet mm. or whatever it is. Most of that can be done kind of from anywhere. And there might be a fixed deadline. You know, it needs to be finished by X time on X day. But how you get to that point actually can be a lot more flexible yeah. than people realise. And we've mm. got... So the analogy that we make quite often is that we have all of this free-range technology, but actually we still have a bit of a, pat a battery farm mentality yeah. that you have to be here. Yeah. Whereas actually, you know, if you are allowed to wander a field and do your work, then you produce nicer eggs. Yes. Uh, <laughs> nice. And that's something that I think people are quite slow to realise. There are some companies that are doing good things and are quite quick to catch on, but there is a bit of a knee-jerk, particularly among the people. You quite often find that, you know, there might be CEOs who say nice things about it or HR directors. You might find that people... Uh, and the rank and file want it but actually there's a bit of a blocker quite often the middle management that's, that's who, what I was going to say who basically feel they've got too much yeah. on anyway and it will just make their life harder yeah. and, and, and their knee-jerk reaction is no 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 but there, there is a big discrepancy seriously but there is a big discrepancy isn't there between big organisations and at the top end of those organisations and how they wish to be perceived and yes. they can say all the right things yes but the practice. actual day-to-day -day reality, it's not those, it's not, you know, the big brand managers who are making these calls. It's like you said, yes. the middle managers. Yes. So yes. how do you yeah. how do you fix that fix that discrepancy? You, well, you get middle managers who have done flexible working. Yes. You, you get yeah. the next generation of yes. middle management in the same way you get the next generation of dads yes. who have had a more hands-on role with parenting means that the next their kids are gonna be it's a slower, yes. slower yeah. process. So quite often what we find is that within an organisation, there will be one team that's working completely flexibly and is much more productive and much happier, and there's one that isn't because individual managers have kind of taken it on themselves to do it. So this is something that's quite common in the NHS, we found. Um, from trust to trust, there will be someone who's running a team who said, actually, we can 
um, you know, we're not frontline. Uh, we're doing all of the admin bits and so on, which is most of the staff in the NHS. We can be a bit more flexible and their team, um, the turnover is lower and they're more productive and so on. But then there's another team at Trust down the road that doesn't have that and people are a bit more hacked off. There's a remarkable statistic that uh, we got from Flex NHS, which is that um, on wards where staff are allowed to work more flexibly, fewer people die um, because the frontline medical staff aren't as exhausted. They're not as stressed. They're able to think more clearly and more productively. Yeah. Um, I mean, that in itself is probably powerful. the strongest yeah. Yeah. Um, case for it. But it's also something that we found within very traditional um, corporate minds in things like finance. So... Um, I've forgotten the guy's name, unfortunately, but there was uh, someone who we've spoken to quite a bit who worked at uh, Coots Bank, and he allowed his team to... I think he had a few um, female staff members who were pregnant at the same time and obviously wanted to keep them, and he basically allowed his entire team to work flexibly. Now, this wasn't policy. Um, no one else did it. It was kind of viewed as a little bit out there. Uh, but he was able to report back in six months and say, okay, so productivity's uh, gone up here, we're making X amount more money there, um, and prove to people that this change had had a good bottom line impact. Because I think if you, my experience here, certainly, be careful how I phrase it, my experience <laughs> is when people are turned down for flexible working, they become more disaffected Oh, and yeah. it's a spiral of they're not well okay fine if you won't if you won't give me that flexibility i'm going to clock in exactly on yeah. the state the yeah. moment i start clocking exactly i'm going to take my um 15 minute yeah. you know screen breaks i'm going to take my lunch breaks and yeah. you know and actually if you wanted me to do some extra hours i'm afraid i've got i can't yeah, yeah. You know? it's, a, it's a trust issue isn't it it's a trust and faith issue and that that's that's where it comes down to because essentially what if, if somebody rejects if, if i ask for flexible working and i was told no that to me, what I'm hearing as an employee is, well, you don't trust me. You don't. Ha yes. you, you think I'm going to be sitting on my ass watching yes. TV at home, which of course I wouldn't be. I'd yes. be doing my job. Yes. And I think that that's got to be a huge part of this, right? Is that this is it, you're going to have some companies who believe in their employees and yes. say, okay, I trust you to get on with it. And, and actually, what you guys do is very easy to measure, right? Mm. You know, people, you have a certain amount of copy to mm. do, you have a certain amount of stories to do, or mm. what have you, and people can see that and they can see the quality of that mm. one way or the other. And actually, whether you're in the office or somewhere else kind of doesn't matter no. quite a lot of the mm. time and that's quite true of quite a lot of um uh, uh workplaces i think mm, mm. i think there's sometimes a mentality that the, the if to get on you need to put in super yeah. crazy hours and unfortunately if the people making those decisions on flexible working are the people that do those incredibly crazy hours yes it's very hard for them to just sort of like devil's advocate for them to go okay well you can, you can work flexible when they haven't got yeah. they're not in that position to do yes it and actually you know flexible working doesn't need to be a dramatic thing where you sort of are allowed to completely go where you want when you want no. it can be as simple as having core hours okay the office hours are 10 to 4 and you're still expected to do an eight hour day but you can be yeah. a bit flexible when it starts and finishes it could be just starting so a little bit later it could be exactly. compressed hours that's what i do Start it could be finish early yeah job shares for example yeah. all of those things uh, can potentially work mm. and the main issue is exactly what you were saying the flexibility the expectation of flexibility is all one way um, and you know we all work many many more hours than we're contracted for in the UK 
and you know it's quite rare to take an hour for lunch it's quite rare to leave bang on 5 30 that sort mm. of thing um flexible working doesn't mean that you necessarily work shorter hours you know you might be in an industry where 70 hours a week is the norm mm. and if that's the case and that's what you have to do to to get on then so be it but if 10 or 20 of those hours are done at home yep. or are done in a slightly different way then why not and the problem is the flexibility quite often is all one way people expect you to work more so for example um zero hours contracts are probably a prime example of the wrong kind of flexibility <laughs> where <laughs> all of the expectation is from the employer we expect you to work only for us we expect you to work as we need you to we're not going to give you holiday we're not going to give you pension what, what do amazon call their drivers amazon flex that's what <laughs> Amazon calls their drivers who are on this like got to deliver all the parcels within a certain time or if you're late you, yes. don't, get, you don't get your target you don't get paid yes it? and that's not flexible, flexible working <laughs> there's, that there's no flexibility flexible. there yeah. uh, that's a kind of horrible yeah. um, uh, mangling of the, the, yeah. the phrase um, and actually in those um, sort of production line roles and driving roles or something, they can still be a little bit of flexibility you can do things like job share and so on mm. Um, you can do things like I think there's this weird idea that everyone will have exactly 40 hours mm. worth of stuff mm. to do each mm. week um, yeah. when that's not really always no, the case some people work quicker some people work slower yeah, exactly. well that's speaking of quicker and slower I think we, we've been wittering on for a good 40 minutes now I think we've <laughs> I think I think we're coming to the end of our time, but it's really really. You got work to do, Rich. Um, yeah, I, you know, the irony is I'm looking at my watch. And I'm like, I've got a meeting to go into, which I can't be flexible about. No, unfortunately, got to be in it. But um, you know, it's, it, that is, it's a really really interesting point. I think flexibility. I, I would like to think will. And just to kind of like bring it back yeah. around, the flexibility of working, the knock on effect of being a parent, is yes. only positive. Yes, it's only positive. You know, it's a lifestyle improvement for you as a human being. But if you've got young kids and you're able to work flexible, they get the benefit of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you make nicer the next generation of people. There you go. That's the fundamental, is it? That is the fundamental. Well, that's what this is all about. The more time you can spend with your kids, we're trying to make nicer. That's that's the end goal. Surely, for any parent, you know, mother or father, the end goal here is to spend as much time as you can with your kids, and how you get there isn't really the point. The point yeah. is to, to make sure you are there, that you get yeah. to that end and point. And where flex I have is some, one of those ways. Flex is yeah. one of them, whatever you can and do. And we've kind of, so we've sort of said, we've got a 12 to 15 year window to make this the norm because yeah. uh, depending on whether or not she goes to university, that's when our eldest daughter is going to be entering the workforce. And we don't want them to have to go through mm. that same coin flip of family or career that mm. uh, a lot of women have to go through now. No. Interesting. And I kind of think that's, the momentum anyway, regardless of what we're doing, is going in that direction. It's just if you would like to think so. so it's, it's, if we can get there sooner, so it's how quickly better. we can pedal, isn't it? So it's, it's going, it's going in that, direct, that direction. Yeah. But what, what, at what speed is the question? And if we've got a parent listening to this podcast who wants to find out more about flexible yes. working, where can they go, Matt? So there are lots of places. Um, uh, ACAS has some info mm-hmm. about your rights. Uh, the TUC website has quite a lot. There's also an organisation that we worked with quite a lot called Working Families who have a free legal helpline. If you mm-hmm. Google uh, Working Families, there, um, it's lots of employment lawyers working for free. So there can sometimes be a queue to sort of get on and that sort of thing, but you will get free direct legal advice about your specific situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically anyone in a full-time role has the right to request flex after 26 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but the issue is that companies can say no for whatever reason they want. Um, um, but then there's appeal processes and so on. Okay. Working families is a good one because you get to speak to an, a, law, a lawyer directly. TUC and ACAS have lots of um, Great. info online. When's the book out? 
the next book is uh, Feb 2020, Where's My Happy Ending? Great. And there is a podcast, I believe, as well. We have a podcast called... <laughs> uh, <laughs> we see it occasionally <laughs> pop up on the, on the kids and family uh, channel. We have uh, Dirty Mother Pucker, okay. which is uh, basically two panels. So Anna and two of her mates yep. uh, do the first half, then me and two of my mates, and we will discuss a different issue, yep. um, whether that's... And the, they've been relatively... Uh, um, there's an eclectic mix. There's an eclectic mix, yeah. So it's, there's one that's on called Splashdown, which is about the birth. Yep. Um, there's one... <laughs> uh, Brilliant. There's one on contraception. There's one on in-laws. There's one on, you know, how to make your kids behave. There is almost no useful practical information Excellent. whatsoever. Excellent. But hopefully... Good uh, note. It makes people so laugh. So when you finish, <laughs> <Good listen, laughs> <when you> finish <laughs> listening to First Time Dads and you've reviewed and rated, head over to Dirty yeah. Motherfucker yes, exactly. for a bit of light relief. Exactly. And vice versa. Yeah. Uh, uh, Matt, thanks for coming in. Yeah, no worries. Thank you very really much. Really interesting. And Cheers, good luck guys. with the Flex appeal. Yes.